We're in this series of generosity. Uh, you know what? Do you not just love the word generosity, or are you sick of it yet? <laughs> the word generosity, I was, I was reflecting on it again as I was preparing for the sermon, and I was thinking to myself, there is this, I can't even, I can't conceive of a negative kind of concept around the word generosity. We just love it. It's just this, and it so describes God and the things of God and the people of God. It's just, it's over the top and it's abundant and it's, it's always so positive. And so we've been talking about generosity for, for a f- several months actually because it's one of the core values of our church and it applies to so much stuff that we do. And over the last couple of months, we've been looking at sort of that, that um, sort of a little phrase that's attached to our mission statement uh, or is sort of a summary of our mission statement, that we're a church for your head and your, hand, your uh, heart, your head, and your hands. Your heart, your head, and your hands. And so we've been talking about generosity uh, of heart and then intellectual generosity over the last month. You know, generosity of our, the intellectual generosity. I know, and from now till Easter, we just, we want to finish up this series on generosity. Don't say amen. We're going to finish up this series on generosity, talking about this really kind of the generosity of our hands, sort of the, the generous doings, I think we put in your bulletin. Generous doings, or doing generously. And I titled this sermon, Doing Generously, A Life That Touches Lives. Doing generously, if we're going to do generously, I, I, I summarized it, a life that touches lives. It touches lives. Because I thought about it, if we're being generous with our hands, if we're talking about giving and creating and serving and I thought about the word touch. Now, some of you are touch people and some of you are not touch people. I totally get that. I can tell because when I hug you, some of you have a little mini panic attack and I feel that. <laughs> and then others of you sort of pull me close and then hold on uncomfortably long. So I know there's... <laughs> Somebody hugged Art and I at his birthday party yesterday, came and grabbed both of us and hugged both of us. And finally, Art said, okay, now I'm uncomfortable. It was just this full body press, you know. But the word touch is a good word when we're talking about being generous with our hands. I I wanted to call it generous touching, and then I realized that's way too creepy. That's not what we're doing. (laughs) But we're actually talking about touching lives. Doing generously, giving and serving and being with people, giving of our heart or our time or our money, doing something is about touching lives. Because in the end, generosity is always about people and their lives. And specifically, listen, church, generosity is always about helping people in their lives come to know their Savior, Jesus. It's always what it's about. And so we're looking for ways that we touch people generously, that they may grow in their faith and in their relationship with God. We're talking about doing something that changes lives, that impacts lives, that touches lives. You with me on that? You see where I'm going with this? And we want to look at Jesus. We've been in Luke a bunch during this series because he's the one that touched lives because for God so loved the world. And we want to see how he touched and impacted lives. And there's these great couple of verses that I, I just love. It's one of my favorite places in the scriptures. Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Look with me at it. And uh, <clears throat> this actually, uh, verse 1 and 2 is almost all that we're going to focus on. But this is the beginning of a chapter where Jesus is telling three parables. He tells a parable about um, uh, someone losing um, 
99 sheep, I mean, losing a sheep, he has 99 in the field, he loses a sheep, but he goes out and finds the one that was lost. Searches till he finds it. Then he tells a parable about a woman who, who loses a coin, has 10 coins, loses one, she searches until she finds it. And then he tells the story of the prodigal son, or a father who had his sons, one was faithful to him and one ran off. And how he longed and he waited to be restored in that relationship with that son. It's about Jesus seeking and finding that which was lost. That's what this thing is about. But the whole passage starts, and I'll read one of the parables as we read through this together. The whole passage starts with these two verses. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. Some of our versions have sinners in, uh, in, in your English. Some of them have them in quotation marks because it's such a, if it's Luke saying sinners, we're going to hear that that people were kind of upset because Jesus was hanging around, not all put together people. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so then Jesus told this parable, I actually went on to tell three parables, but here's one of them. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one of these sinners, over one of these people who know that they're messed up and broken and need God. There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't think they have anything to repent about. That's the word of the Lord, friends. Thanks be to God. Doing generously is living a life that touches lives. Doing generously, living generously with our hands, is going to be about living in such a way that we actually touch lives. And I want to look at how Jesus touched lives. And this first thing I want you to see is that, that we learn from Jesus is that touching lives is incarnational. Do you like that word, incarnational? It's embodied is really what that means. We talk about the theology of the incarnation, which is that Jesus became a human flesh, fully God, but yet fully person, human. And so Jesus came incarnation, but he lived incarnationally. He lived with people surrounding him and invested and gathered and connected in their lives. He was actually touching lives. If we want to talk about what it looks like, what it feels like to be God, a God's agent living generously in this world with our hands and touching people's lives, it's that we have to actually be embodied. We have to actually be personal. We actually have to show up. What does the, the, the lottery say? You've got to be in it to win it, baby. You've got to be present with people in order to actually touch people's lives. It's incarnational. Maybe a good word is engage, which is in our mission statement. Marine Covenant Church exists to engage with the spiritually hungry. That's the first line of our mission statement. Can we do our mission statement too much? Are you sick of it yet? Marine Covenant Church exists to engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that is inspired and intelligent and involved. That's our mission statement. And it starts with, we exist to engage with people who are hungry for God. I love that. love that. It's an A-plus mission statement. And that's what we're talking about here. There's this incarnation. There's being present in life. There's life on life. It's embodied in the flesh. The flesh. It's pressing the flesh. It's work in the room, baby. 
We're connected to people. It's incarnational. Three words in verse 1 and 2 that I want you to look at when we think about this idea of having an impact in people's lives through Jesus' example. Three words that I see in this incarnational thing. First, it says that these tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around. Do you see that in the text? They were all gathering around. And by the way, I hope that you have your electronic Bible or your other Bible open because often when we preach them, we've got notes on the back. You can't quite get back to the... It's kind of obnoxious to flip back and forth too much to the scriptures, and I want you to see them there. So if you want to turn back into Luke 15, you can. But it says that the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They were collecting around Jesus. They gathered around him. And I love that it's tax collectors and sinners. It wasn't all the people who were just sort of pleasing to Jesus' way of life. It wasn't all the people who knew they didn't have a whole lot to be embarrassed about around Jesus. It, it was people, it was the regular old people, and I, we don't have time to go through all this, but if you go look up and, you know, online, like who were the tax collectors in the Bible, you realize these were not people who were well-loved. These people were taxing and making their own living off of taxing their own people for the sake of the Roman occupation, which nobody appreciated either. So they were sort of traitors and then taking advantage of that situation and getting rich on it many times. These tax collectors and these people, sinners, meaning people who were not living the life of Jewish piety. So, it was, so, so Luke goes out to make a point of these kinds of people who were just not the kind of people that you assumed would be hanging out with Jesus, those are the people that were gathered around him. And you hear the incarnational piece of they were gathered around him? And you can almost picture it, right? They were huddled around as Jesus was teaching and talking. But I got a little clue in, this, in the text that it's actually a more powerful reality than that. They weren't just gathered around him. The text itself, the, the actual one, we're not supposed to do this as pastors. We're not supposed to throw the Greek at you because it makes us look like we're, you know, uh, elitists or whatever. But I was studying the Greek. And in the Greek, the better word for this is not that we're just gathered around. They were drawn in to gather around. Isn't that good? They were drawn to Jesus. They were, they were sucked in to what he was. They, were, they drew near. They were captivated. Jesus was saying things and living with them and touching them in a certain way that they were just drawn to him. We want to be people who live lives that touch lives. We have to live and to speak and to touch in such a way that it draws people to us. They were drawn in. They were captivated by him. They were compelled by the things he was talking about. They were mesmerized. These are all words that sort of go along with this idea of being drawn in, of being gathered near. His life and his wisdom and his, I think his fun probably, I mean, who, you're compelled to be near people who are fun. His interest in them, his love that they could feel, he, something they could relate to, they were all drawn to be near him. I, I just have to ask us this. Are we living, are you living such a compelling life with Jesus? The way you speak, the way you live, the choices you make, the way you give yourself away, the way that you touch people, the way that you invest in them, the way that you invest in the world, the way that you're a world where, the way that your heart goes out to this, that, and the other thing. Are we living such compelling and captivating lives that people are drawn to us? That goes for you individually and it goes for us as a church. Because if we're going to be generously doing and we're going to be wanting to touch lives, 
And that incarnational peace is that pressing flesh is that we're going to want people that will be drawn to us because we can't just go, you can as a person, you know this, chase after somebody and try to have a compelling impact on their life when they don't want to be around you. So I got a couple of hard questions that I'm really actually a little embarrassed to read and a little afraid to say to you. But there's this question about, are we attractive for Christ? That is a... That, don't dismiss this. This isn't about being all clean-cut and beautiful. Because you know what? There are a lot of clean-cut and beautiful people in the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fragrance of life, compelling by the way that we live and the way that we serve and the way that we touch so that the people around us want to be near so we can touch their lives, share the love of Jesus with them. Are we attractive enough? Because here's some of the questions I'm asking. Some of us, friends, some of us, the opposite are attractive. Some of us are so self-centered that we don't compel people to us. Some of us literally just need to learn that we talk too much and don't listen to people. That when we're with people, we don't say, what is in your heart? How does your heart beat? Tell me about your children. Tell me about your dreams. Tell me about your hopes. Tell me about your fears. I want to know about your life. Instead, we just talk about ourselves all the time. Do you know people who talk about themselves don't have friends? You know that? And some of us go, man, I wish, I wish, I, I told the world to get compelled to me, but nobody will be. Some of us are too self-centered. Some of us talk too much. Some of us don't listen some of us isolate ourselves because, you know what, we worked all day and we're tired. Or we had some relationships once and we got our hearts stomped on. Or it's just easier to live that way. Some of us are moralistic. Some of us are so politically polarized that whenever you open your mouth to talk about what you think are the current events of the day, everybody just goes... I'm not saying there's not a place to talk politics, but honestly, if our lives are to be touching and impacting other lives, politics is usually not the topic. We're talking to people about their hearts and their dreams and their pain and their joy. I just think some of us need to look at our lives and just go, I'm not a person who draws people. Why is that? Nobody wants to know my views on things. Nobody wants to hear about God from me. Some of us are so not at rest that we don't ever actually just incarnate. We don't actually just press the flesh ever. We don't ever really just settle and be with people. I, I, know, I know this as a pastor because I have a ton of people in my life and I've been uh, no less than probably five times in the last 10 years, somebody has said to me, you're not really present with me right now, are you? Because I wasn't at rest. I didn't see that moment as a gift from God. I didn't see that relationship as a call to touch someone's life, and I wasn't there for them. And some of us spend our whole lives spinning like that on our own things and on our own agendas and on our own schedules, and, on our, and we've over... Okay, you get my point? Can we look at our lives honestly and get some help from people around us and say I want to live a life of loving and caring and touching people that is compelling so that they'll be drawn to me 
I think that's in the heart of every one of us. And we got to look and see if there's something in our choices, in our personalities, in our habits, in our self-centeredness that keeps that from happening. Touching lives is incarnational. And these guys gathered around. They drew near to Jesus. They were attracted to who he was and what he was saying, even though they knew they probably shouldn't even be friends with this religious teacher. They still loved being near him. And that piece, by the way, well, let's look at the next word because I think that relates to that. The other, the other phrase in the verse two verses is, um, is that it's, they then said, look at verse two, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so these were the religious leaders, so the, the messed up people were drawn to him and the religious people started muttering. And they said, this man welcomes sinners. I love that phrase. Wouldn't that be a great way for you to be described by people who know you? by people in our church. Man, that dude loves broken people. Or that dude loves everybody. What a great way to describe yourself or to be described. What's happening there is that Jesus was meeting people where they really were, where they actually were. There was no expectations that they show up and be somebody different. There was no standards of behavior that they all kind of knew that he was going to drop the hammer on them at any moment and they were going to be out of relationship. He just met people. He just welcomed sinners. And I actually was studying this word and uh, the word welcome and I looked and I saw some notes and I'm like, I've totally talked about this before. There's two words for welcome in the scriptures, in the Greek, and one of them is a regular old word. It's called dekomai, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a word that's, that's welcome, like, oh, welcome. You showed up this morning. Welcome. Okay. Uh, or you're welcome. You know, come on in. Welcome. It's just a regular old welcome word. It's like when you when you when you when you end up somewhere, or you you, uh, um, you it's just okay. You're welcome. But this word that he uses, it says that he welcomes sinners. It doesn't say that he decomized them. It says he prosdecomized them. He goes ahead of welcoming. He longs to welcome. He's been waiting to welcome is what it says. There was something about the way that he engaged with people in this text, this incarnational way of living, this getting in their lives, that he actually was communicating to them, I have been longing to meet you exactly where you are. I've been on the edge of my seat my heart has been pounding to welcome you. I've gone way ahead of it. I've been anticipating this moment of welcome where I can connect with you and touch you just where you are. Is that not sweet? So we have people who in our hearts and soul, we go, well, well you know what? You're, you're welcome to come and find God. You're welcome to be a part of my life. But you know the difference and you know the people who deco my you and the people who pros deco my you. I've been waiting to give you my heart exactly where you are. I was having uh, lunch with, a, with a, a buddy here from church the other day, and there was a homeless guy uh, came by. Well, he appeared to be homeless, and he was asking people for food, and nobody gave him any, and I thought he was asking for money. And when he came up to me and he said, uh, hey, can you, can you give me some money for a burrito? And I was just about ready to be you know, dismissive, and then I thought, oh, food, okay, if he actually wants some food, I'll buy him some food, and, you know, we'll, I wasn't going to give him just some cash or whatever for whatever he's going to use it for, but, you know, so you already hear this resistance, this judgment, I already uh, sized it up. Oh, okay, well, I'll do that for you. And I said, what would you like? He said, a steak burrito, and I literally came out of my mouth, wow, steak. <laughs> I'm not proud to admit that to you. I was going to toss the poor brother a bone is what I was going to do. 
So I, we, we got it. I got the burrito, and I went over and, and gave it to him, and he ate it in about 12 seconds flat. And he was like, thank you, thank you. And unfortunately, where I am in my walk with God right then, right that day, right that moment, and I missed it, I basically said, you're welcome. Deco my. But pros deco my. That's translated into scriptures I've been waiting I've gone on ahead anticipating welcoming you and going over the top to meet you just where you are. And Jesus tells these stories of the one who lost one sheep and then went over the top to go get it back. And a woman who lost a coin and went over the top to go find it. And then most of all, the father who waited for his son to come to his senses and ran down the driveway and embraced him. I think most of us find it as a great victory when we end up in the, the decomized times of our lives. But Jesus, this incarnational ministry, touches lives by saying, I've gone way ahead and I've waited for this day. Prostecomai. Can we be known as a church Can Christians be known as a people who are waiting and longing and on the edge of their chairs looking for the opportunities to go way out in front and welcome somebody exactly where they are in their journey and in their brokenness and in their pain and in their sin and in their life not being together and in their disagreements with us. That it's this wide open kind of a deal. You know, I thought of some illustrations, and they were all just personal to me and my people that I've touched, but don't you know people who prostecho my you? The people who just feel like their arms are always wide open no matter what it is that you're going through. Doing life generously is living a life that touches lives. It's incarnational, and we, we, people will be drawn to us, and they'll have that sense that we have welcomed them completely no matter where they are. Man, I want us to be those kind of people. And I think this is a great church. I think we're becoming those people more and more. And I think as individuals, we need to be thinking, am I that guy? Am I that person? Do I live that life? People are compelled to be near me, and people know that I've gone before to to welcome them in. The third thing that that is there is... uh, in Jesus' incarnational ministry, is they said, well, he welcomes people, uh, he welcomes sinners. This guy welcomes sinners, and then it says this in the, the phrase, you see it, and he eats with them. He eats with them, of all things. It's such a funny phrase. He eats with them. Why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because it wasn't just eats with them like, you know, he happened to be at, at a restaurant at the same time they were at a restaurant. It's this formal word for eats with them. It's that he engages in table fellowship with them. In other words, it's like there's a sense of uh, that this is when someone has a dinner party and it's a very formal cultural agreement and arrangement where the invitation goes out a certain way at a certain time and people respond in a certain way. It was a very cultural Jewish thing that then they would have this table fellowship together. They would, they would, they would, they would have a, a dinner 
I, I say dinner party, you know, it just pictures you with Chardonnay and it doesn't paint the picture. But it's more of a, it's more of an, an, of a, of a beautiful, uh, formal, I want you to be in my life and I want to be in your life and we will have this fellowship together. And so when they said that Jesus ate with them, the Jewish people were taught not to associate to people who could sully their reputations or who could stain them by their way of living outside of the righteousness of the law of God. But Jesus went in and said, those are my people. I prosdecomai those people. I'm going to go eat with those people. I'm going to be in their homes and I'm going to be touching their lives and I'm going to be connected with them. It says acceptance, true friendship, partnership on life's journey. Listen, think about you living a life in a way that touches lives, that you have partnership on somebody else's life journey. That means you do know their hopes and their dreams, their hearts, and the names of their kids. You're present in their journey. You know their fears. You know their struggles. I'm describing what some people, most people would say, man, that, that's like the best marriage I've ever heard of. I don't know friendships that way. And I don't know friendships with people just sort of out in the world that way. Well, my friends, if we want to give with our hands, we want to do generously. We've got to touch lives, and to touch lives, we've got to be incarnational. And to be incarnational, we are going to be on people's journey with them. Man, I love our church does a good job at this. And this is for us to respond to the Lord today for you to say, am I, am I living that way? Am I partnering with people in their journey, their story, their mess, their burdens? Am I partnering with people in that? <laughs> I was talking to Tommy uh, on the phone, and I was with a friend of mine. And uh, my son Tommy's 19. He's a freshman in college, almost 19. And uh, I was... And I was with a friend of mine, and I said, oh, it's Tommy. Let me get this. And I said, hey, and I was talking to Tommy. And my friend said, ask him if he kissed his new girlfriend yet. I said, hey, Scott wants to know if you kissed your new girlfriend yet. And he goes, what? What? Why is he asking that? And when Tommy was home on break, we were talking. He said, how, why would your friend know He goes, how does that even come up? (laughs) And we were sitting around at Christmas time with our family, and I said, because he prays for every one of you guys by name. My friend Scott knows my children's names and what they're walking through right now. And he prays for them. And we had gotten together as buddies, and I may have shared this with you before, we got together as buddies, and we were on our knees for one another's children. That's what we did for fun. I mean, we went for a run. We had a pizza. We, you know. And then we got on our knees and we talked to God for each other's kids. Partnering in life's journey deeply. Now, that guy's all loving Jesus and he's all walking with God. What about living in that kind of intimacy? Not the prayer thing on your knees, but that kind of intimacy with someone who doesn't know Christ they would be drawn into the beauty and the depth of your world with God and be exposed to the incredible joy of what it's like to be part of the kingdom of God where we live and serve and breathe in Jesus. 
Doing generously is living a life that touches lives, and that's incarnational, gathered around, welcoming sinners, eats with them. I've got to end with this. We always have been saying in these, on this sermon series, you know, this, this thing is, this kind of generous living is dangerous because it's costly. We've, we've been calling our series the dangerous generosity because if we're really going to live generously, then it's going to be costly, and that's where it gets dangerous because we go out on a limb. And I just want to say this as I close. Doing generously means we're no longer going to be live for ourselves. Be able to live for ourselves. I mean, didn't, didn't, isn't that what we described, this incarnational ministry, this being present in the lives of other people, means that we will no longer live for ourselves. If we decide that we want to live generous lives that touch lives, then we've settled the issue that life's not about me anymore. We've settled the issue that we now live to serve God, to touch the people of God, all of God's creation, so that they might know the love of God. We live to serve him every day by touching lives, that they would know the love of God. That's our purpose. That's what we have to do. If we decide we're going to be God's people, then it's very dangerous, very costly, because we get to this place. Have you made that choice? What is your purpose? I mean that with all the gravity that it sounds like I mean it. What is your purpose? And that is not a condemning um, attack. It's a wake-up call for us as God's people to say, what is my purpose? Because if I look at my life, it's about a little comfort it's about a, a, a providing a, for my family and having a little joy. And I want to serve God in there, but my purpose feels like it's kind of around me. Just surviving. We all relate to that, friends. But God's call on our lives is to go way beyond survival where I'm the center of my own purpose. It's about giving ourselves away in ways that touch people's lives, living attractive, compelling lives that people want to gather around and know what it is you have. It's around prosdecomying the world where nobody has welcomed broken and messed up people, but you go, we got so much room for you to be in that place. You come. And then it's about partnering in life's journey with folks in their life, in their story, in their mess. There's no room anymore to live for ourselves in that. May God grant us the renewal of mind and heart and spirit to be those kind of people. Now, Ben, I want you to come up and I want you to lead us in worship. We, we worship, friends, because it reorients us to these truths. I am positive that when you came in here today, you were saying to yourself, man, I need a little God for sure. And I'm positive that it's been a long week for you. And I'm positive that you're saying in your hearts, I want to be God's man. I want to be God's woman. Man, I get distracted. And I get dragged down. And I'm just surviving. I totally get it. So we gather here weekly, friends, to reorient ourselves to the truth. 
we need him, that he will rescue us, and that by his strength, not only will we survive, but he will give us purpose to touch other lives for the glory of God. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and let's just lean into the presence and the power and the truth of God in this room. Respond to him together.